Welcome back to another week of the Earth is a Ball podcast. My name is Ricky Weeps, and today we're going to have a new guest and a now recurring guest on the show to preview the actual baseball season. That's right. Baseball is starting today. Now, I just want to put a disclaimer out there. These were recorded a little bit earlier this week, not expecting yesterday's news about Mookie Betts signing the lucrative deal with the Dodgers. So you might hear some interesting takes concerning that whole situation, but I'm not going to keep you waiting any longer. Let's get right into the episode. Now coming back on the podcast after a brief hiatus is now the voice of Marquette Athletics, his good friend of the show, Dan Abington. Danny, welcome back. Ricky, always glad to be on, and uh, I just got to say, it's been too long since I've been on Earth is a Ball, so I'm glad to be back. Well, it was around this time last year that you last came on the show because we oh, talked about the home run derby and the all-star break, but now we're actually getting ready to preview the, the baseball season. I don't know if we were expecting uh, that kind of timeline going on. Not at all. So, Dan, we're going to break down the National League going into the baseball season. Shortened season this year, so every game matters. And right. why don't we start off with some of the front runners? So who is your, like, confident pick to come out of the National League? I think it's a pretty easy selection going with the Dodgers. I don't think that's really up for debate in any way because they've been – over and over again, they've proved that they're one of the best teams in the NL, if not the best team. Last year, obviously, the Nationals beat them to the World Series. But with the kind of pitchers they have – they're pretty deadly. You look at their outfield, having Cody Bellinger, that, that helps a little bit. Now having Mookie Betts, you know, just a bit of a boost there. But their team is just so strong that I don't really see another team that could come in their way. I think as far as the other divisions, I think that is pretty clear who I think is going to come out of them. I think the Reds are coming out of the Central and the Braves are coming out of the East. But I think the Dodgers are a more talented team than either of those. So I think the Dodgers pretty much have the NL locked up, but I could see the Reds or the Braves making a bit of a run. I, I threw up in my mouth a little bit when you said the Dodgers, Dan, I'll be uh, honest. They are like one team that I think is going to take a step back this year, even though they got Mookie Betts, who's a phenomenal baseball player. I think he's only going to play 60 games in a Dodgers uniform before he goes elsewhere for probably not as much money as he was expected to make this offseason, just because the, the money's all thrown off with the coronavirus. But I'm actually going to go with the Chicago Cubs. Wow. My confident team. Now, they haven't been as good since they won that World Series in 2016. But David Ross, you know, coming back to be the manager of the Cubs. I just think they're a solid team all the way around, especially with a 60-game season. And you have a core with Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Contreras. Like, any of those guys could get hot at any moment. And if they're all clicking as soon as the season starts, like they're going to be a scary team, especially with the weather in Chicago heating up in its prime dinger hitting conditions in the windy, windy city. Yeah. I mean, I think the Cubs are a pretty dangerous team, but I don't even think they're the best team in the central. So that's why I'm going with the Dodgers as my main team to come out of the NL. I mean, you look at this Dodgers roster, you have Will Smith behind the plate, which is probably one of their bigger weak spots because I mean, he's good but he's not the best catcher in baseball. You look at first base, they have a ton of options there. Muncie, Bellinger, they can throw Matt Beatty in there. Gavin Lux playing second base with Muncie as the backup. That's a pretty deadly one-two punch. Turner, Seager, Pollock, Jock still, Kike Hernandez, Bellinger plays in the outfield, Mookie, Chris Taylor. I mean, 
there's nobody in that lineup that you want to face if you're an opposing pitcher. So I think the Dodgers are just scary from top to bottom. And I mean, we don't even need to talk about the pitchers. They've got Kershaw. You keep going down. You got Bueller, you got Urias, Wood. They just, they have so many weapons. There are so many different players on this Dodgers team that can beat up on you. And I like the Cubs. I think the Cubs have a lot of talent top to bottom, but I don't think anybody's competing with the Dodgers this year in the NL. Well, the one thing I will say about the Dodgers that they have like as a disadvantage is that the coronavirus, you know, big cities attract large numbers of cases. Are you telling me Chicago is not a big city, Ricky? Well, I'm saying that Los Angeles is a little more susceptible to the spread of coronavirus. If you look at the numbers, numbers never lie, but the Dodgers have an increased likelihood of catching the virus, especially if they were to go out on the town, you know, just one, one bad night could mess up the Dodgers entire season. So that's, that's why I'm a little hesitant on the Dodgers just because, you know, if, a manager or a pitching coach or even a player, like that's a lot of people you have to quarantine throughout the season. Right. That's a good point. <laughs> now, you said the Dodgers might be the best team in the West. And I kind of agree with you to a certain degree because I don't necessarily think they're the best team in Los Angeles, but I definitely think they're in the top tier. But one of my dark horses in the national league is actually a team a little bit South of Los Angeles, the San Diego Padres. You know, they have Chris Paddock, the sheriff coming back on the mound. They have, the best left side in the infield in the entire MLB in Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado. Mm-hmm. And if they both stay healthy, they're going to be a show to watch every single time they step on the field for years to come too, because I think Manny's just starting to hit his prime. Yeah. And I think they could make a run in, 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 a, in a Western division, because remember, it's not American League and National League. It's West, Central, and East now. Mm-hmm. So I think they could make a run in the West division because the AL West, you know, the Mariners, the Athletics, the Astros, I don't necessarily see them making much noise, but they could definitely make a nice little run. And the 60-game season is perfect for teams like the Padres that are growing to maybe heat up a little bit and punch their ticket to the playoffs. Right, and you actually stole the dark horse that I had written down in my notes. Um, I, I really like the Padres. If you just – you simply look at the personnel that they have. They have Eric Hosmer, who – is out of his prime, but he's still a pretty good first baseman. Profar at second base is kind of a weak spot, but he's a serviceable guy there. You already talked about Machado and Tatis. That is a – it's a lethal combination on the left side of the infield. I don't know what's getting through those two guys. Tatis is one of the fastest players I've ever seen, and Machado has probably the smoothest glove in the MLB right now. And then you move on to the outfield. They've got Tommy Pham, Trent Grisham. Will Myers will be in right, even though he's a – He's kind of disappointing to me because I thought he was going to be a superstar and he hasn't lived up to that potential, but he's certainly a good starting right fielder. And they got some good backups too. Josh Naylor, Franchi Cordero. They got some guys that are going to be pretty impressive if they're able to, as you mentioned, this might be good for them in a 60 game season. It might not be the same in a longer regular season, but I think they can make some noise if they want to. And especially if you look at their pitching staff too, like I mentioned Chris Paddock, but they have Kirby Yates now in the bullpen, Craig Stammen. Like, they have a top-tier bullpen in the MLB. San Diego, not necessarily a team a lot of people are looking at going, oh, I could see them in the World Series in a 162-game season, as you said. But the 60 games makes everything a lot different. Exactly. And another thing that's a lot different this year is that they're having expanded rosters, in quotes, in case people were to get the coronavirus and they can kind of call younger players up. So you're seeing a lot of recently drafted players and 
a lot of guys that are in triple A or even double A baseball getting onto the rosters. And, you know, I have one or two players to watch during the season. I'm going to start off with one. I have Sixto Sanchez, who's been in the minor leagues for God knows how long at this point, was in the Phillies farm system for a little while before being traded for JT Real Muto. But now he's playing for the Marlins, and I could definitely see them calling him up, maybe even when the season starts. And he, he's got an ace of an arm from what I've heard and expected to see in Philly's pinstripes, but it'll be interesting to see what he does in Miami. Yeah, I, I really like Sixto. I've been a big Sixto guy from the start. I was kind of torn when the Phillies traded him away because I've loved JT, and I would not want to trade JT away for anything. But initially, it really stung when Sixto left Philadelphia because he's got so much potential. He could be the Marlins' ace, and it's really scary that we could see him in the same division as soon as this year tearing everyone up on the mound, especially tearing up Phillies hitters, which would really break my heart. So do you have any players to watch for in the National League this year? Ricky, I've got a whole lot of players to watch, um, but I'll, I'll narrow it down to a few for you. I think – Actually, a few of the players that I'm looking out for this season all come from the same team. Um, I think there are a lot of really intriguing players on the Reds this season. First of all, Nicky Senzel is goaded. I know you have his jersey, accidentally. <laughs> um, but I think he's a really good player who I think could skyrocket this season, former first-round pick, center fielder. I think that he really could be a deadly force. Wherever they play him, he can play – in center and he can play in a few other spots. So I'm assuming he's going to be their starting center fielder. I don't know why he wouldn't be. But another player who I think on this Reds roster could explode is Eugenio Suarez. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I think that's his first name pronunciation. But we're going to roll with it. But I think my brother and I have talked at length about this guy because I think he has a really, really a whole lot of potential. He's their starting third baseman. He hit a whole lot of home runs last season. And while he might not be the most intriguing player in the league, I think that he could definitely be on the rise, especially in a season of only 60 games, which is something you really need to factor in right now because some of these players who have really hot starts to the season or who are prone to big stretches at one time, I think that they are a lot of the people that you should watch out for. And I think that Suarez and Senzel are both, are both going to be players that could make a huge impact for the Reds this year. And that's why the Reds, while they're not exactly a dark horse, I think that they could easily make the playoffs. I think they should be running the Central. And just because of their roster overall, I got a lot of confidence in the Reds. Yeah, and they picked up Trevor Bauer at the trade deadline last year after he hurled a ball over center field in Kauffman Stadium. Yeah. In that trade for Yasiel Puig, who's just signed with the Braves. I know that was a devastating move to us Phillies fans. Not fun. But I would say, you know, you said they weren't really a dark horse, but I was kind of debating between the Padres and the Reds as a dark horse team because they have the pieces. They're right. just really young. And if they put it together, like, as you mentioned, if guys get hot at the right time, especially in the shortened season, like if you look at their right fielder, uh, Aquino, I'm not going to try and pronounce his first name, Aquino, <laughs> he hit like five or six home runs in his first like 10 at bats or something ridiculous right. like that. So if they're able to sustain that, like 60 games, is just a third of a regular season. Just about approximation. We're not math majors. But the, the Reds, especially Freddie Galvis. Right. He's former short. Philly on there. So yeah. they, got, they got a nice mix of vets like Mike Moustakis, too, former Brewer, that they could put something together there. Yeah. And you look at the rotation. Their top three is Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, 
and Trevor Bauer. That's a pretty decent top three, I would argue. So I don't know. I think that once – I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but I think that the Reds could make a pretty big run because they have a lot of pitching depth. They have some good guys in the bullpen. Amir Garrett, one of my favorite guys in the league, especially after that fight that he had. But you, you mentioned it. They have some veteran presence. They have Joey Votto at first, Moose is at second. I guess Freddie Galvis could be considered a veteran at shortstop. And then you have guys like Suarez. You have Aquino and Senzel. You have Nick Castellanos, who could be a problem. I don't know. I just really like the Reds this year. And I think that they should run the Central. I'm interested that you think the Cubs are going to be your main team coming out. But I really well, like the Reds. It's going to be interesting because they're going to match up against each other a plethora of times yeah. because now you only play against the teams in your division. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan, we've touched on it a few times, and I know we're really, really excited to get to this segment. And it's a new segment on the Earth as a Ball now. It's called High Hopes, <laughs> where we're talking about the Phillies. That's right. You guessed it. High Hopes. We're talking about the Phillies' expectations for this year going into the 60-game season. So, Dan, why don't we start with the biggest question mark that's been plaguing the organization since Roy Halladay retired, Cliff Lee left, Roy Oswalt spent the last year or two of his career here. It's the pitching rotation. Yeah. So right now the Phillies have about four starters, we'll say. We'll say they have about four, four guys. Yeah. You know, that, that being Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, Zach Eflin. Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta. I always forget he's on the team. <laughs> but now that fifth spot, there's a little bit of a question mark there because you got Vinny Velasquez, who looked very good in the scrimmage the other night. Mm-hmm. and Nick Pavetta, who's basically the Markel Fultz of the Philadelphia Phillies. Can he throw strikes? Can he pitch a baseball? So what do you see coming out of the Phillies rotation this year? I'm scared. I'm (laughs) all scared of the Phillies rotation. Um, Even back when they had the four aces, um, I I never have had a ton of faith in the Phillies rotation, regardless of who it is. Um, And that probably goes back to when I was growing up and the Phillies had Brett Myers as the number two pitcher. Um, but this year they have a lot of talent in the rotation, especially with Nola at the top. I don't think that Nola's an ace. I think that Nola's a better two or three pitcher, personally. Um, I think he's a spectacular pitcher, but I just don't think that he's the number one kind of guy sometimes. I really like the Zach Wheeler pickup. I think he's going to be really important. I have never been a Jake Arrieta fan in my life. Um, last year he really annoyed me because he's so inconsistent. And he's an MVP caliber player, or he was at least, when he was with the Cubs. And he hasn't been able to get anything going. I kind of dread Jake Arrieta's starting days. Eflin, I like Eflin a lot. Um, I think there's potential there. There's a lot of potential. Or he could just be an average starter. I would absolutely take average starter from Zach Eflin. And then we talked about that final fifth spot. I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen with this fifth spot. because. Pavetta, he is so inconsistent. You can never get a proper read on Nick Pavetta. And then Velasquez, the same thing. I kind of liked Velasquez out of the bullpen for a little while. Um, I think he has good stuff for the bullpen. And I think at some point, Spencer Howard is probably going to take a spot in this rotation. But I just don't know what they're going to do with this fifth spot at the start. I think they got a great beginning with Nola and Wheeler. But how do they build around them is my question. And it's interesting because this offseason, you had left-handed pitchers on the market. 
Now, it's an important note that all four, five, six of those guys we mentioned are right-handed pitchers. Mm-hmm. That you had lefties in free agency like Dallas Keuchel, yeah. Cole Hamels, and the Phillies didn't really go after them mm-hmm. and instead spent a boatload of money on Zach Wheeler, who is a great pickup, but not, not, filling a, not filling a need. Yeah. So I, I like what you said about Spencer Howard, and I could totally see him maybe joining the staff a little earlier than expected, but it, it could make big strides in his development, hopefully. And, you know, people are saying that he's the next, whoever the Phillies last great developmental <laughs> pitcher was. I've many of them. <laughs> he's he, he's the next Hold Nick on. Pavetta who's good. Oh, ouch. That one hurt. But um, the Phillies have a lot of young players with high expectations. And one of those was a couple of years ago when Reese Hoskins got called up and started hitting dinger after dinger after dinger. And ever since that hot start, that rookie of the year campaign, he's kind of cooled off a little bit. And last year he started off hot, hit a grand slam opening day, and then he really, really struggled the second half of the year. So do we think Reese is back? He's got the nice facial hair, the nice flow going. Is Reese Hoskins going to be the first baseman we've all dreamed of? First of all, I have to mention it is not good facial hair. It's just facial hair. I, I don't think <laughs> facial hair. Uh, I like him better as a baby faced. And second of all, no, I don't think he's back, sadly. Um, I had a whole lot of confidence in him at first. When he first got called up, I was like, okay, this guy is going to be the next great Phillies first baseman. Because first, when I was younger, it was Jim Tomey. Then I went right to Ryan Howard. And now we went through a whole lot of ugly times at first base with the Tommy Josephs and everyone that rotated through that spot. And Carlos Santana, who was not good with the Phillies, but then had a record-breaking season last year. But I really had a lot of confidence in Reese. And last year, that just went right down the drain. I lost all confidence in him. And I don't know. He's just so inconsistent. He had such a great start to the season. And then what happened at the end? Nothing. It just, I don't know. I can never get a good read on Reese Hoskins, and I don't think he's back. As much as I want him to be back, I don't think he is. It's only like his fourth season in the league, though. Like, he's still relatively young. You got to give him that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if he turned out to be a great first baseman and an all-star, I would be ecstatic, and I would say from the start that I knew he was going to be. But right now, I, I just can't put my finger on his development as a first baseman. He's still not good in the field. I mean, he gets a lot of walks. I'll give him that. But his power is inconsistent. I mean, his plate vision's good, but he doesn't seem to be hitting for average too often. And I know that average is kind of an outdated stat in baseball nowadays, but I don't know. I, I just don't have a ton of confidence in him. I'm going to take a page out of Dr. Anthony Fauci's book when I say that I am cautiously optimistic that Reese will be the player we all dreamed of this year, that he's not going to put up the monster numbers. He's not going to put up the awful numbers that he did last year, but he's, he's going to produce. I think he'll produce um, enough that the Phillies might be able to compete in the Eastern division, but I, I don't know at this point. It, it's going to be weird not seeing him play 162 games which might be a luxury for the Phillies. Yeah. But I don't know. 
But some people are actually riding this entire season on Reese Hoskins saying, oh, his production is going to be the X factor for the Phillies. If he hits a ton of home runs, then the Phillies are going to make the playoffs and everything. But I don't necessarily agree with that. Dan, do you, who, who do you see as the, the Phillies X factor this year? So I think for the Phillies, it's, it's never really relying on one person as the X factor. I think that it's a whole lot of different things coming into the equation that are the X factor. But I know that I'm going to sound like John Leuzzi when I say this, but I think Andrew McCutcheon might be this Phillies team's X factor. And I am solely basing that off of last season when he went down with the injury, everything just downhill immediately. I think he's an important veteran presence. And while his play on the field might not be as high as it used to be, of course he was an MVP. Like, of course he's no longer in that caliber, but I think his energy and his veteran presence is really important. And I think that McCutcheon might not be the X factor, but he's an important piece in this Phillies rotation. Um, No equation, not rotation equation. That's the word I meant to say. And I think especially with the question mark that is center field right now, I think that having a veteran presence in left in McCutcheon, it's going to be important because you don't know what's going to happen with center field with Hazley or it's going to be Roman Quinn or is Adubel Herrera coming back? I saw that, that was a rumor the other day that if Hazley and Quinn can't hack it in center, then they're bringing back Adubel, which I would not like. I really like Adam Hazley. I think that he's going to be a pretty strong player. But I think that having a good center or a good left fielder and a veteran presence out there, in addition to Bryce Harper, an all-world player in right, I think that they're both going to be able to help out the center field question mark that the Phillies have right now. Yeah, the Phillies were definitely a different baseball team after McCutcheon went down with that injury. You know, he was definitely one of the best leadoff hitters in baseball going into that kind of poor stretch after the injury. But my X factor is actually going to be someone that the Phillies picked up this offseason. And no, it's not Joe Girardi, even though I love that hire. Get Gabe Kapler out of here. Even though he wasn't a bad man. He, he just, I, like, I liked Gabe. I like Gabe. He's, I like the Italian uh, influence that Joe Girardi brings into the equation yes I just didn't necessarily agree with you know Gabe Kapler utilizing certain pieces at certain times but he's definitely going to do great things in San Francisco but I like Joe Girardi's counterpart that they signed this offseason and that's Didi Gregorius because if you look at the infield for the Phillies you've had a lot of moving pieces and you brought in Gene Segura last year who had a bit of a down year from his consistent like 300 hitting seasons and Scott Kingry's been moved all over the place for the Phillies. Like they had him playing third, second center. Like they had him all over the place. Shortstop. Exactly. I think Didi bringing some consistency to the shortstop position and just consistency to the infield in general, because you had Michael Franco who was up and down, up and down batting in the eighth hole. And it was just very, very chaotic for the Phillies lineup. And there was no consistency, but I think if Didi not necessarily saying he can play, put up his prime numbers, but you know, last season he batted 238. Maybe he could do a little bit better than that in a Phillies uniform. Just be a reliable shortstop. And as you mentioned, as McCutcheon is a veteran in left field, you know, Didi could be that veteran in the infield to kind of keep Scott Kingry in check because he has his moments where he's very, very good. And we saw him come back from Arizona and he's absolutely jacked now. So <laughs> Scotty jacked packs. Scotty, Scotty jet jacked. Yeah, exactly. So I think if Didi Gregorius can just be 
just have an average season is all I'm asking. I think that could be an X factor because he's just a reliable guy in the, in the batting order. Like Pedro Feliz was in 08, you know? Yeah, I think, I think Didi's going to be really important. But I was really excited about the Gene Segura addition last year, and he kind of let me down. So I'm trying not to be too high on this Didi signing for the Phillies because I think that he could be a really important piece, but I don't want him to be a detriment either the way Gene was last year. You know, signing people. Phillies uh, kind of have to re-sign a contract before the fans riot. Um, best catcher in baseball, set to be a free agent this offseason, but, you know. That's Andrew Knapp was supposed to be a free agent. Oh, God. I can't invite you back after you mentioned that name on this podcast. But <laughs> JT Real Muto, still in contract negotiations, I hope, with the Phillies. Do you think they're going to bring him back? I think they have to. If they don't bring him back, I will be insanely upset um, because he wants to be in Philadelphia. He has said that he would love to get a contract extension nailed in there before this season. And I think he is way too good of a catcher for them to let go because it was a rotating carousel, just as first base was for a few years there. It was just guys come in, guys come out at the catcher position. I mean, I loved some of the catchers the Phillies had. I have a Cameron Rupp jersey in my closet. And I loved Jorge Alfaro. I have a jersey for Jorge Alfaro. But Romuto finally gives them an actually good catching presence. He's the best catcher in baseball, in my opinion. I know that that's a bit of a contentious topic because you have Brandall, you have Contreras. Um, you have a bunch of guys that can make a big impact. But JT is so good behind the plate. That's not even counting his offensive numbers. He is just so good as a catcher and as a signal caller that I think he's way too important, especially to the development of some of these younger pitchers that the Phillies have. I think that they need to re-sign JT or they're in some trouble. I think they're in trouble on the field and off the field because I'd say about 99.9% of their fan base is clamoring at the organization to re-sign him like right now. Mm-hmm. Like literally right now. Clamoring for a while, Ricky. Now, Dan, before we end off this episode, I want to get one of your equators for this upcoming MLB season, which is obviously the hottest take of the episode. So, Dan, what do you have for the upcoming MLB season? Well, Ricky, I thought for a while about this because I don't tend to have a ton of hot takes regarding baseball. Um, I'm more even-keeled. But I came up with one that I stand by. I don't think that the Washington Nationals are going to make the playoffs. I have to agree with you. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs because the Braves are so good that I think that they are easily getting out. And I don't think that the Nationals will. The World Series winning team with Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, they have Juan Soto. I don't think they're making it. But That's it. That's all they have. Right, that's true. They lost Rendon, who was a monster part of that team, probably a bigger part of that team than most people think. There's a reason why he got paid a boatload of money to go to Los Angeles. They don't have Ryan Zimmerman this year, who's been with that organization for the past, like, 30 seasons, I feel like. And the East is just amazing right now. You got the Phillies, you got the Braves, you got the Yankees now. You're going to play. The Rays have a solid pitching staff. Like, 
I don't see the Nationals. I have to agree with you. I think it was a fluke last year that they won the World Series. An absolute fluke. Mm-hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I love – well, I mean, it's hard to say that I love because they're in my division. But I, I really, really like a lot of the players that are on this Nationals team. I am one of the biggest Juan Soto fans you will ever see. And I really like a lot of the pitchers. I'm a big Trey Turner guy. I think that Robles is going to have a good season. But I don't think they're making the playoffs. I just don't. I think – I don't think that the Phillies are making the playoffs either. I'm just going to come out with that one. I think the Braves are too good. Um, and I don't think the Phillies are good enough. And I simply think that the Nationals are just not going to have a good enough season. I think they're a playoff caliber team, but I don't think they're going to do it. Well, Dan, I want to thank you for joining the podcast again. Hopefully we'll have you sooner once, once sports sooner get up and running. What? Sooner than a year. Yeah. <laughs> we'll work on it. Sounds good. Before our next guest, I would just like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode. Just kidding, we don't have any. Here's our next guest to help break down the American League. Now joining the Earth is a Ball podcast, someone who I haven't been on air with in quite some time. I think our last time on air together was the Oregon ASU football game a few months back, but he just released a new show called Up to Date with Mac Friday. It's none other than, wait, here's, here's a hint. Funny. Mac Friday. Um, Mac, welcome on, bud. Thanks, Ricky. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, I don't appreciate the trash can, but it is what it is. Life moves on. Uh, we play baseball. Let's get it. I mean, I, I remember, I, I, I know you don't want to talk about cheating that much, but I remember we were in class together at Cronkite when the news broke about the Astros sanctions and stuff. So like, what was just going through your mind as a fan when that happened? Well, it, it obviously, it hurts. Um, it's something that you don't want to see. That team, what that team is really all about, that 2017 Astros team. Uh, I don't mean to get into a sob story, so I'll make it quick. But uh, Houston is coming down from, or still coming back from the ashes from Hurricane Harvey. Um, and then the Astros, they like unveiled this Houston strong patch and just light up the league. Um, now we know that it was through cheating, but um, light up the league and play really well and just brought the city back, brought the city together. It was a really special moment for the city of Houston. So that's why they're so close to my heart. Um, it hurts to see that they were cheating because they were better on the road than they were at home. And they were pretty much only cheating at home. And so that's something it hurts. It's something that you have to swallow but also it's something that allows me to divert my anger at the MLB because uh, regardless of whether you want to hear it or not from an Astros fan, in my opinion, this is just, we are the pure scapegoat. I'm not making excuses. We cheated, but I think we're the scapegoat of a much bigger problem. And that's all I'll say. All right. Now I know you as well as I am are very excited for this upcoming baseball season because baseball is actually coming back. There was a big yes, period of time sure. where yep. I spent numerous episodes of this podcast bashing Rob Manfred left and right. And now we're actually getting a season. And when this episode's releasing, season will start the next day. So why don't we preview the American League? Because obviously that's the league you're more familiar with, with the Astros yes. moving yep. to the AL. Uh, so why don't we start off? Who is your confident pick? Like if you had to pick one team to make the playoffs or 
have a great season this year. Who would you pick, Mac? The Astros are a confident pick. The Yankees are a confident pick. Um, those are your two superstar teams in the league. Another team that I really am intrigued in is the Minnesota Twins. Um, and then I'm also very intrigued with the Tampa Bay Rays. Those two, I think, are going to make a lot of noise and um, have the potential to really stretch out this season and play well if they check their boxes right. Obviously, the Rays have a very good pitching staff right. uh, coming back this season. And, you know, the Yankees getting Garrett Cole to a lucrative amount of money that nobody deserves even to play sports these days. <laughs> um, right. But one of my teams that you didn't mention is actually the Cleveland baseball team. And, you know, okay. they have yeah, – no, I, like, yeah. I like how you said that. I like how you said that. <laughs> and, and the Cleveland baseball team, because the AL Central always entices me, because you have teams like the Twins that make good runs. The White Sox are growing right now with Eloy Jimenez, just signed so. Dallas Keuchel. But yep. the Cleveland baseball team is a team that has been consistent throughout the, the last couple of years, making it to a World Series, losing to the Cubs in 2016. But they have the best infield in baseball, in my opinion. With Carlos Santana, mm -hmm. who's coming off a career year. They just picked up Cesar Hernandez in free agency, who had mm -hmm. a very good run in Philadelphia. And then on the left side of the infield, you have Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, two premier players at their positions. Like one of the I, best, one of the best shortstop third base combinations you can have in baseball. One I would put them up the, there. If not V. I would put them up there with Machado and Tatis. I think those two duos are two of the best in baseball. But this is also a team that knows how to get hot. You go back to 2017, they go on that 22-game win streak. And the Indians are a team, like, if they have a run like that, that's a 30-year season already because it's 60 games. So having right. that kind of that veteran leadership of Lindor and Ramirez who have been through stretches like that, I think could definitely help them in this shortened season. It's definitely an interesting thing to look at. That whole division is going to be an interesting look at because – like you said, the White Sox are rising, and they, they are going to continue to rise. Uh, Tim Anderson is a bona fide star growing into that. Um, you've got a great pitching staff. Um, you've got some young guns and one of the best farm systems out there. Um, that is a team to look at. Um, like you said, Cleveland is a great team to look at. The, the Twins, though, don't, don't overlook You the can't Twins. sleep that on lineup. them. That lineup is explosive. And it, the things that they can do in the batter's box, two teams, we saw them go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Bronx Bombers last year. It's, it's a team that slept on and I think can make a lot of noise if, like I said, they do the things right that they need to do. And the Twins are a team without like a bona fide star. Like you don't have a Mike Trout or Bryce Harper on the Minnesota right. Twins. You have, like, a Byron Buxton, who's a great role pair, player, one of the yep. fastest players in the MLB. And then you have, like, Homer Bailey and Rich Hill on your pitching staff, Jacob Ordozzi. These aren't household names, but they're guys that produce on the baseball field, and that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. But then you also have the veteran leadership of someone like a Josh Donaldson, who's won the MVP Big before, who can Big bring pickup. some star power. That's, that's a great pickup for them. It gives them some leadership and – it gives them another good bat, the bringer of rain. I mean, like, it's such a good it's, – it's just a good team across the board that a lot of people are going to overlook, but it's a team that's going to make noise. Now, it's interesting you brought up the addition of Josh Donaldson, a, a premier third baseman a couple of years ago that won the MVP and now joining the American League team. And there's actually another third baseman going from the National League East 
to the American League, and that is Anthony Rendon, who finished third in MVP voting this past year. And he's a part of the dark horse team I have, which is the Los Angeles Angels. I'm a big believer in the Angels of Anaheim this year. I know you don't necessarily agree with that. We'll get to that a little bit later in the episode. Oh, sir. Do not believe I think, that. I think Rendon going to the Angels makes some dark horse team to make some noise this season. So who's someone you have on the as a dark horse this year? My dark horse? Uh, well, my dark horse is actually – I'm going to agree with you on the Angels, but – I do have another dark horse that is going to relate to my equator, and I'm not going to reveal that team just yet. So my dark horse is also going to pertain to my equator, so that's why we'll save that for later. Hey, that rhymed. Um, But I'm going to agree with you on the Angels here. The Angels are not a bad team, um, but we're going to get into that debate in a little bit, and we'll really settle that when we move down the road in this. Well, I Um, think now would be a perfect time to just – Give the people what they want. Give us the debate. I mean, I, I mean, if you really, if you really want it, let's do it. I mean, so I'll just preface it with this: a couple weeks ago, actually, it was a while ago, when we were previewing the actual MLB season with a good friend of ours, Joey Vaca. My equator was oh, that the the Angels were the best team in the AL West and the best team in Los Angeles. I believe was. I'll find the clip and play it here. I'm just kind of going to build off of that because my equator was actually that the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim will be, one, (laughs) the best team in Los Angeles at this end of the season, and two, will win the AL West. Marty, you've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Who said that? That, Did Joey say that? I said that. You're delusional. I'm delusional? You're delusional for that. Please, Mac, explain to me why I'm delusional for thinking that. Okay, all right. Yes, the Angels have three of the meatiest hitters you could possibly have in a row. You've got one of the best baseball players we've ever seen in Mike Trout. You've got one of the most, like, hottest hitters recently of the past two years, Anthony Rendon, who's making his transition over there. And then Shohei Otani has proved himself that he can hit the baseball, but he can also pitch. So that's a deadly three in a row. However, they are not going to be able to hold out that sort of offensive firepower throughout the rest of their lineup. And I don't think that the rest of that lineup can catch up with what they're going to do. And I don't think those three baseball players in uh, Trout, Rendon, and Otani can carry the load with that team. Also, uh, we haven't really gotten into pitching with this team yet, but the pitching is not where it needs to be with the LA Angels. It's not where it needs to be. Otani is coming off TJ, and he is their best option. And the options get worse after that. Uh, Julio Tehran, not a bad signing, but I, I don't think it, that pitching staff is going to hold up against the best the AL West and the American League has to offer. Now, here's the thing. You only mentioned three hitters in their lineup, that being Trout, the best baseball player of our generation, Anthony Rendon, who I think is slept on, honestly, by a lot of people in the MLB. Like, I would agree with If that. you're a casual fan – you haven't heard of Anthony Rendon probably as much, except you know that he just won a World Series with the Nationals. Right. And I know him 
not personally, but he's hurt my soul in a couple ways because he just terrorizes the Phillies every time he steps on the field. Okay. But you, you got to remember, they have one of the best defensive shortstops in the game in Andrelton Simmons. I had a feeling and, you were literally just about to say, I just predicted that you would say that. And so. Tommy Listella batted almost 300 last season. So these are guys, they don't necessarily possess the power of Trout and Rendon. Oh, wait, l- let me not forget uh, Hall of Fame first baseman Albert Pujols, who is still producing this late in his career over was, at first he, base. I don't think he's producing like you, you think would, he is. You he would is. be remiss not to mention Albert Pujols in this lineup, though. I don't, think, I don't think I'm missing out on that much without Albert Pujols anymore. I really don't. Yes, he has the legendary status of the player that he is. But I think he's a liability at this point, in my opinion. A liability that bats 250, 23 home runs, 93 RBIs with a substandard team last year that really, really struggled? I don't know, man. I don't know. That's the, uh, You asked – I mean, God, you got, you got me with those numbers, man. I don't know, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> numbers never lie. And plus, plus, if Otani's pitching, you can put him in that DH spot, give him a rest day over at first base. So he's not playing the field every single day. I, I, okay. You're not delusional, but they're not going to win the AL West and they're not the best team in Los Angeles. I think, okay, here's the thing about Los Angeles. Mookie Betts is playing 60 games in LA and he's done there. It's that simple. It's very, I know, I I know I went on uh, up to date and said, Giannis is going back to Milwaukee. I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, Yep. I believe Mookie Betts is leaving Los Angeles after this season. It's as simple I, as that. I would definitely agree with that. This is a very short stop for Mookie in Los Angeles. And I just don't think that they can last 60 games. And I think this is going to be a down year where expectations super high. Dodgers just dodge the expectations. They, the Angels do not have the rotation to match the Dodgers. And I don't think they have – the bullpen to match the Dodgers and I don't think they have the offensive talent to match the Dodgers yes they have the big three yes they have the best defensive shortstop in baseball yes they have Tommy Listella who's been playing well don't get me wrong like you prove the numbers you have the numbers up you didn't you made a nice case for the Angels you a team that has Mookie Betts Cody Bellinger and has Clayton Kershaw and Walker Buehler on the front end of the pitching staff with a lot of solid options across the board in the field. I don't think that the angels are better than the Dodgers, but I just want to touch on intangibles for a second because you mentioned all these star power, all the star power, right? Okay. Hold on. They might be complacent right now. They might be sitting on the couch right now going, you've got a hold of this region because it's regions regional now. Right, we've got it's all, all of this. We've got left. Mookie. Yeah. We've got Cody coming back. We got all these guys. Angels picked up Joe Madden as their manager this offseason. Joe Madden knows how to lead some dogs to a World you guys, Series. You're right. He but does. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call your bluff here. I don't think the Dodgers are sitting there being complacent. I think they're pissed off and ready to play the Houston Astros and rip their heads off. I don't think they're complacent at all. I think they're upset and ready to play baseball. Only time will tell. And we're going to see a lot of these matchups between the Angels, the Astros, and the Dodgers 
coming I soon. Think it's it's so. going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Now, are there any other players? Because I know we mentioned Rendon, who's a big name going out to the AL West. Are there any other players that you think people should look out for this upcoming season? So, I, like we talked about, Rendon and Shohei Otani are two of mine on the Angels that you need to look out for. But if there's, if there's a home team pick that I need to make, it's Lance McCullers Jr. He, he has been away for quite some time with Tommy John. And this man, during the 2017 postseason, we can talk about Astros pitching because they weren't cheating. Uh, Lance McCullers Jr. was lights out in his time in that 2017 postseason and he had a decent start to his 2018 before everything sort of fell apart. He had to get Tommy John's surgery, um, had a decent 2018 playoffs, but Lance McCullers Jr. That curveball is one of the dirtiest in baseball through 24 straight to beat the Yankees. I am so excited to watch Lance play. I think he can really bolster this Houston pitching staff even more than it needs to be with the loss of Garrett Cole. Um, that is my player to watch for this region, I would say. Now, before we get to your equator, I just want to say that one of my players to watch, it's really a trio of players because I mentioned earlier that the Cleveland baseball team has the best infield in baseball. And the players I'm about to, to mention, the trio, are about to form the best upcoming infield in baseball. And that's in okay. Toronto with Vladimir okay. Guerrero yep. Jr., Kevon Biggio, and Bo Bichette. These guys, yes, you might recognize the names because all three of their fathers played in the MLB. But last year, you know, they started to get together and uh, play some pretty good baseball. So a lot of high expectations coming into the season. And especially with a shortened season, with a young team like Toronto, could they make a run in 60 games where everybody's getting hot? People are still figuring out how to pitch to Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr.? Who knows? So this is one team that probably should have been my dark horse team, honestly, that I could see making some noise, especially – in, in the, uh, the East region where teams aren't necessarily like star studded where you have the Braves and the Yankees, but that's about it. Right. Uh, I, I will, I will say two more players that I'm interested to see play are um, one is Ronald Acuna Jr. You can never overlook him. He's so much fun to watch and is one of the budding stars in baseball and is, uh, I expect him to just absolutely light it up this year. Um, and another one that we really saw emerge in the playoffs of last year is Gleyber Torres. He tore up the playoffs last year, um, except I would say towards the tail end of the ALCS. But um, he was a force to be reckoned with. Um, he's still only 23 years old. So much to learn. Um, so much more baseball to play. And he's one of the key factors and key players of this superstar loaded Brock's Bombers lineup for the Yankees that uh, is going to make, is going to like, like we're sticking with this trend of making noise this episode. The Yankees are going to be a force to be reckoned with. And Torres is one of those pieces. And it's a great time to be a baseball fan right now. So much emerging young talent. We mentioned Lindor, the guys that got up in Toronto, Acuna, Torres, Juan Soto, who just won world series MVP or no Strasburg won it. Still a young guy. It doesn't matter. Juan Soto but still absolutely tore up the World Series. You're, it's, it's, exactly. That's, that's an easy mistake to make. You, you got all these young stars emerging. So it's a great time to be a baseball fan, except when they're arguing about money to get the season started. So, Mac, 
before we end off this part of the episode, why don't you uh, give me your equator for this year leading into the MLB season? My equator is going to be that the Oakland A's are going to make a serious, serious push for the wild card. Like, like going to win the wild card and get into the playoffs. I, the Oakland I, A's. the Oakland A's. So hear me out. You have one of the top three third basemen in baseball in Matt Chapman. Yes. Guy is an absolute stud. Love that man. You have um, one of the best shortstops in baseball. One, an MVP candidate last year, Mark Simeon. He is incredible. And the way he played last year was – he was an MVP candidate, hit the ball out of the water, just absolutely killed it. Um, you've got a very solid outfield in Mark Hanna, Roman Laureano, and uh, Ramon Laureano, and uh, Steven Piscotti. Not one of the best, but Laureano's a solid center fielder, has an absolute cannon for an arm, solid outfield. Uh, and then on the other side of the infield, you have Matt Olson and Tony Kemp. Tony Kemp can't hit the ball. I love him to death. My dad's a Vandy guy. He's a Vandy guy. Um, we're a Vanderbilt family somewhat. Um, love Tony Kemp. Can't hit the baseball, but he can play defense. Matt Olson can hit the ball. And then you have a very solid three in your rotation. You've got Sean Manaya, Frankie Montas, and Mike Fires. I'm not a fan of Mike Fires. He's the whistleblower. He's got an ugly mustache. But he's not a bad pitcher. Not a bad pitcher. And Sean Manaya threw a no-hitter, what was it, last season or the season before? He shows that, I mean, that can be a one isolated time thing that happens. But he's proved himself to be a great pitcher. They don't have the bullpen strength that they had with Blake Trinan now on the Dodgers. But um, I think this is a fairly rock-solid lineup that can be cohesive and make a push. And I think they're going to make a pretty strong push. I think it's safe to say that the Western I don't know what to call them. The West region yes. is probably going to be one of the most competitive in the entire MLB this season. And Without a doubt. You, you talk about players like Matt Chapman and Matt Olson. I think just because they play in Oakland, they don't get the recognition they deserve because they put up monster numbers. Yes, like last they year, did. Like last year, Matt Chapman hit 250, 36 home runs, 91 RBIs, similar to what Albert Pujols put up, but just a few more dingers and – no one knows Matt Chapman, I don't think. Like, the casual baseball fan might not know Matt Chapman. Yeah, the truly casual, let's just say, East Coast baseball fan does not know who Matt Chapman is. So I think it's very interesting that you said that the athletics going to be in that wild card race. It could be interesting to see which, like, region has the most playoff teams at the end of the season. Without and a doubt. Because let's just talk about the NBA. The Western Conference in the NBA – significantly better than the Eastern. And especially over the past five or six years, we've seen that, uh, seen that trend go way towards the Western Conference. Um, but I think this Western division is going to, like you said, is going to be almost bulletproof. You've got some bulletproof teams. Uh, I would say the premier teams like the Astros, the Dodgers. Um, I think uh, this is kind of an equator but uh, like a side equator, I think the Diamondbacks and or the Padres are going to be a serious threat yes. to the Dodgers. 
one of yep. those two, if not both. Um, but I, that team, that whole division has so much talent, so many good baseball teams. The AL West races, with the exception of, I think, the past two years, have all been really close. Um, the A's have put constant pressure on the Astros. Um, the Angels have stretches where they put pressure on the leading teams in the division. I the 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 NL West was a toss up at times. Besides the Dodgers' dominance, I think this is just a really interesting. Uh, I think it is by far the most interesting division to follow. Um, I mean, us being out what me being out west, it's very prevalent for me to follow. Um, Houston's uh, obviously been a huge baseball city recently because of our uh, not cheating, but uh, rather success um, through cheating and not cheating. Um, I, I, I'm so excited for baseball to come back. I've been watching the Astros inter-squad scrimmages. I've been reading articles yes. and following and just getting my gear ready. I got my bobblehead collection across my room ready to go. Um, I'm set up. I'm ready to go. I see Ricky's collection right above him. Uh, I, I'm so excited for baseball to start. Astros slander aside, it's going to be a good time. Oh, I have all the baseball movies queued up. Bull Durham, Major League, The Sandlot, you name it. It's getting watched <laughs> in the next week. Yes, sir. Mac, thank you for joining me on this episode, and uh, can't wait to talk some baseball once the season actually begins. Thanks for having me on, Ricky. Appreciate it. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another week of the Earth is Ball podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Earth is Ball Pod for a bunch of clips from today's episode and a bunch of past episodes as well. Make sure you stay tuned for next week. We'll have a very special guest to help break down the upcoming NBA season. You know the drill by now. Same time, same place. We'll see you next week. Until then, remember that the Earth is a ball. And I think it's only fitting that the late and great Harry Callis takes us out with Philly's opening day starting tomorrow with his staple song. So Harry, take it away. When you are down, lift your head off the ground. There's a lot to be learned, so look around. Once there was a silly old man. Let's go.